We are in a, in a faux-ceilinged room with fluorescent lights, which look... That, my skin actually does best in harsh fluorescence. <laughs> uh, in the convention center in St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome to The Art, a School Library Journal production. I'm Travis Yonker. That voice you just heard was author Mac Barnett. That laugh you just heard was author-illustrator John Clausen. Together, they've created a slew of unforgettable picture books. Extra Yarn, Sam and Dave Dig a Hole, The Wolf, the Duck, and the Mouse, and more. In the fall of 2017, my co-host Colby Sharp sat down with the pair to talk about the craft of writing for children and how their collaboration works. If you love books for kids, you're going to love this conversation. So, back to Mac and John talking about their inspiration for The Wolf, the Duck, and the Mouse. Oh, and a quick note. Due to the on-location recording, the sound quality is a little off. Thanks for understanding. Um, and you know, there's an image early on um, of a duck and a mouse eating breakfast together in the belly of a wolf. And that was the first image in my mind. Um, and the, the story the story kind of grew from there. But I don't know. I mean, both John and I have been preoccupied with <laughs> just say preoccupied with eating, which well, feels true. In stories, I think that's true. Yeah, like, and in, in real general. life. Yeah, eating yeah. is a habit I've formed over the years. We were told there was going to be breakfast at this podcast, <laughs> and uh, is it there are literally, by the way, there are literally, just for the theater of the mind of our listeners, there are literally empty plates and in mugs. front of us, yeah. and mugs, just mocking <laughs> my appetite. Your, your hunger? Yeah. But no, eating, I think, I think that's fair to say that eating is, is um, as far as book devices go, it has been on our minds. It's a, it's a very interesting uh, tool to have in your toolbox uh, for ways to get rid of characters or not get rid of characters. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that it's a way, it's a way to talk about death without a story ending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it has all the finality of death, but then you don't really... I remember talking about it while my hat back with with publishers and them saying, well, he doesn't have to eat the rabbit. Like, doesn't he have to, can he just beat him up or something? And I think, like, that's way worse. But eating has this special place where you can, yeah, you can kill a character or deal with the death of a character, but you don't really. There's room for them inside the animal or whatever it is. You picture them in their hole or something like that in, in, a, in kind of a, a fairy tale way that uh, doesn't happen with any other way of ending a character. One of the sort of structures that animates the story is that there are four characters in it. There's a hunter, too, and... Um, each of the four of them reaches a point in the story, like they reach the very limit. They reach a point where they think everything is over and they have to decide what they're going to do next. Um, and the mouse is the first one. So we start with that eating uh, and take care of it in page turn. Sometimes John and I would go to the publisher together. Um, that's not the way it usually happens. I don't think it's the way it's supposed to happen. And it used to be, like, on our first book together, um, Extra Yarn, John and I talked a lot while we were working on it, but we sort of did it in secret. Our editor didn't know that it was happening. I think they knew after a while. Probably. Yeah, and then everybody <laughs> sort of figured it out. Because, I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's easy to say. Just also, probably, to, to, to help the theater of the mind of the audience right now, inadvertently, John and I are wearing the exact same outfit right now. It happens. For the second day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So people tend to spot our, <laughs> our confederacy, our, yeah. our affinity. I think you guys are talking to each other. Yeah. But it doesn't, but this one happened more conventionally though. The last few books we've done, uh, Sam and Dave 
dig a hole, and then the shapes books triangle, and then square. They were done really closely together in, as far as the development of the story and the writing, and then deciding what the pictures are going to do. Um, all of that was done sort of very closely back and forth. But this one was done in the old conventional way, where I got a text from our agent. I'd heard of it. I think you told me the story anyway, but uh, Steve, our agent, kind of sent it to me uh, in this kind of official way, where it's like, would you, you know, like illustrate this story I hadn't I had to sort of decide but I don't think you wrote this one with me in mind necessarily right no uh, this one yeah I, I, I we did it we followed the rules yeah kind of, yeah and even to the point where we didn't really change the story afterwards like usually if we're working together there's ways you can sort of take advantage of the fact that you are talking where you can sort of uh, use the pictures more specifically for storytelling but for this one it's a straight illustration job it really is I think you do picture certain things. Um, but you, you're enjoying the story first. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're I think it's hilarious. If it's any good, I you're enjoy the story. You're laughing. Yeah, yeah. If it's again, if it's funny, and if it's if the story, you're, is you're like, oh, Mac, <laughs> or, or oh, whoever would have written the story. If it's any good, in this particular case, yes, I was saying, <laughs> I was saying, oh, Mac. Uh, I think you, you try and look for a first initial, it's the same thing with, that, that Matt was talking about, where you try and grab one image out of the thing that's going to sort of set the rules for you. Um, and it was the same image, actually, it was the same scene where I was like, I know what that looks like. Them sitting down having breakfast inside this belly, I know what all those pieces look like. And it's sort of the same way an illustration goes generally. If you don't really know where it's going to go, which is the most interesting kind of illustration, you know where a certain aspect goes, or you know what a corner of it looks like, or you know what like one character looks like, and as soon as you get him or her down on paper, you can unfold the illustration from there. And the book works the same way, where as soon as you get the first piece, and that piece usually takes like as long as the rest of the book sometimes, because you're reworking it and figuring out the rules and going over again and restarting, and finally you get the one that you had, and you're like, okay, now all the rules are in this picture, and I can unfold the rest of the book from here. And that's sort of how it went, but you, you get a glimpse of something you can just kind of grab onto, and then get the book out of that spot. Sometimes I'll have the picture book, I'll have told it out loud enough times before I actually sit down to write that I know the whole shape of the thing before I start to write. Um, and uh, this time though, I, I started writing before I knew where it was going to end up. Um, it, it was, uh, yeah, it, that, was, that was a little different. I, I started telling stories out loud to kids. Um, that's how I figured out I wanted to do this. And so sort of the oral tradition, just putting something on its feet, telling it to as many people as soon as possible and, and sort of gauging their reactions, that's typically my process for a picture book. Because picture books are so often told out loud, and I want to see where there are those dead spots. Those I'm not necessarily looking for feedback. Um, I'm looking for that feeling of connection. Um, if I'm sensing, oh, I got a good laugh there, or I felt uh, the listener's attention going slack when I didn't want it to, uh, I want to find those spots as early as I can because um, those are lethal to a story. And in, and in fact, like uh, it's it's. Teachers, librarians, parents, babysitters who pay for our sins. If we have a joke that falls flat or a page that's too long or a patient that doesn't work, we're sitting at our houses <laughs> eating snacks while somebody's embarrassed in front of 35 kids. Uh, so I want to put it on its feet as soon as possible. Um, 
and I'll tell the story over and over again to people in my head um, and and get it sort of to a point that I feel ready to write that that um, it's sort of the, the, the gap between something imagined and something real has already happened in my brain, uh, and I'm not going to have to do that in front of a computer with a Word document open, which is, like, I feel like, sometimes like the worst conditions in which to work. I still love going out. I tour a lot. I like to be in front of big groups of kids. I love telling my stories out loud because I think it keeps that muscle strong. But that was stuff that I figured out um, in, in college that in my summers off I worked at a summer camp and, and um, it, was a, it was a sports summer camp for four to six year olds. And I was always put in charge of four year olds, um, which is good because uh, four year olds don't play sports and neither do I. And so typically, like, at a four-year-old level, I remember I, I, I called my friend Sean and I was like, I was like, man, we were there, like there was running class today. You know you're supposed to run on the, like the fronts of your feet when you're sprinting? And he was like, yeah, man, everybody does that. And he was like, that, that's why you run so funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's a painful memory that wasn't really relevant to any of the books or anything. I think I just learned that right now. Yeah. I'm an old man. Now. That's how I felt. I, I was that. learning so much. <laughs> um, but but typically, like a four year old would like dribble a ball around the cone, knock the cone over, start crying, and then uh, the coach would be like, ah, just go sit under that tree where that man is sitting. And I was, I was the man. It wasn't like a weird summer camp where <laughs> <laughs> just go sit under a tree. There's, There's a man, man there. Uh, but uh, I would tell stories to those kids and um, have to hold four-year-olds' attention. And not just four-year-olds, but like hot, sweaty four-year-olds who had zero self-esteem because they'd just been kicked out of soccer class. And that's a tough audience. Um, and, and that's where I feel like I got the muscle for this. Um, I, I like to put things on their feet as early as possible in front of kids still and test them and it's important to me to show my work and read it out loud in front of a group but um, yeah it was it was pretty early on that I think I figured out on this last tour we had a good time it was in October and uh, it was close getting closer to Halloween anyway and so at the end of the thing um, we have sort of a presentation where we do some drawing and we show different kinds of eyes of a character getting, um, looking around, looking guilty and stuff, and you just move the eyes on a stationary character, you can sort of show them how you can change the emotions by just changing the pupils. And the last expression is very, very small pupils for being scared. And we said, you guys like scary stories? And they all say, of course, they, they do. And so we read um, a book that I was crazy about when I was a kid called In a Dark, Dark Room. Uh, by Alvin Schwartz and then Dirk Zimmer did the illustrations and it's one of these weird artifacts that you know was older than you when you were a kid already. I think it came out like the early 70s. Dirk Zimmer, by the way. Did Dirk Zimmer do anything else? I don't know Dirk Zimmer's stuff except for those books. He did more of... Oh no, illustration-wise, I have one other thing that I found of his that's bizarre. And I think he did the score for Die Hard 2. <laughs> <laughs> Besides that, it's a very strange career and spotty. It comes up and surfaces. Alvin Schwartz did all those uh, um, no, the scary stories, scary stories called the dark. the dark, those really wispy, creepy ones, but the Dirk Zimmer joint was, yeah, the only one I think they did the yeah. movie. But it was, it was this crazy, it's a bunch of short stories, scary stories that are unconnected, and we would just read one of them, and it's like five pages long, and it's the green ribbon, 
and every time we read it, we like we walk out of the room, and the kids are always speechless because it ends with the lady's head on the floor. And it's great; it's really fantastic. But we also just leave the room thinking, like, what a tight story! What a great like every beat, every time we turn the page, we're like, he's just. It's such a great condensation of what a scary story is, and most of it isn't even scary. You tell the kids that it's a scary story, but 80% of it is just about a couple falling in love and getting married and getting old together. Oh, the John does have a good line. About 50% of the time, it's silent the entire time. It's because they're anticipating. But like 50% of the time, John will be like, uh, they grew up and fell in love and got married. Oh, and yeah. kids go, oh! <laughs> yeah, I, go, like, I told you this one was scary. <laughs> yeah, this one was scary. <laughs> the teacher's got to kick out of that, too, I think. But, it's, but then, yeah, it, it, it just ends, and we get to leave with this lady's head on the floor. And I can't decide. There's, there's, I go back and forth as to whether it is as well told as I think that it is, or whether part of it is that they are seeing a lady's head on the floor in a reader book, and they know it's for them. Like they come up later, and the comment is always something along the lines of, like, I can't believe that's in a book. But I think they mean I can't believe that's in a book for us. And that's, that was part of the great thing I thought when I read the book when I was little, too. It's like, look, the font is all big. This is for me. For sure this is for me. I'm not getting ahead of my age. I think that gets the weird paternalism of kids' books, too, right? Like, of course the stuff that kids are thinking about and imagining and seeing in lots of other forms and, and not just in their head, but, but like, in, in cartoons and just, like, it's in other art forms for kids. It's in... It's in fine art that kids are exposed to when they go to the museum, but it doesn't exist in books. And that's so that different. Death? Yeah, death. Oh, okay. Um, death. Heads yeah. on the floor. Heads on the floor. Uh, like, th- these, are, these are things, obviously, you've got to refract it through a kid's experience and where they are, but it, it's already there in a kid's experience, and it's excluded from books. Um, and that's the exact opposite of the way that books function and why we love them as adults. They should function the same way for kids. The things that are on their mind and in their experiences they should be reflected in this artwork. And, and the paternalism comes into books before it comes into any other form of media. I don't get it. I was reading this same book uh, on my own on a tour, because I, I think I was touring. We, we found a hat the fall before, and I was Wait, trying to say This was about me? Yeah, this was about you, just by myself. <laughs> where, where was I that? have an external life <laughs> <laughs> out there in the world sometimes. I call you every night. <laughs> 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 But I was trying this out, and there was this kid, I remember being nervous because I hadn't tried this out before, and I was like, is this, you know, going to be too much? I, it, maybe it's different than what I remember, and maybe it's too scary. And we were talking, I was saying about the, you know, starting the story about what this girl has this green ribbon around her neck, and uh, this one kid right in the front row, so, you know, whatever the age range was, he was at the beginning of it, and he shouts out, Satan gave it to her! And I was like, oh, I'm fine. These kids are way ahead of, like, they, they always have more scary ideas than even you think that you're going to give them. They, like, they, they want to hear about, with Triangle, they wanted to hear about the Illuminati, and they wanted to hear about cults and stuff, because they figured yeah. the Triangle really, Like, they're always running into these areas. They're fascinated with it. I think as long as you put it in a way that isn't traumatic, you're not out And that's storytelling. It's, yeah, it's just tone. And that's what I think that... It's the other reason why I think that it's neat that Max starts at the beginning a lot of times, because he's finding opportunities in the tone, the same way as I'm trying to do with the illustrations. If you start at the beginning, um, you're finding things that are funny, and you're finding things that are scary, whatever they are, inside of the local tone of that particular book. Not even inside of what you can do broadly, in terms of your writing or your illustration, but you're having fun with the rules you've just set up. So a joke that's funny yeah. in The Wolf, the Duck, and the Mouse wouldn't land in another book because Mac has completely found the sound for that book, and it's the same thing with the writing. An expression or a take that the duck or the mouse has is uh, uh, 
local to the book, but that's the fun of it. You, you're playing with what you've set up. That's right. It all has to be local to the book. That your ending is always found in your beginning too. It's it's the it's in the rules that you've set up at the start. It has to be guided by what's already in your story, and not by some prefabricated idea of how uh, a narrative arc is supposed to work. Um, yeah, that stuff is that stuff is all there. It's the, the, those first things you do. They make the whole book. Yeah, and it's also the same thing as what you're doing when you start that uh, Green Ribbon story with do you guys like scary stories? Because if you just said, do you guys want one more story? And then we start with some couple falling in love and getting married, they, they wouldn't know what to do with it. But if you start by saying, look, this is a scary story, something really scary happens in it, then every page is terrifying, even if it's just two people getting married in church. They're, they're, you could hear a pin drop, and this is like an hour into first, and, first through third grade sitting quietly, and they, they're losing their mind, but they're also so quiet because you've told them it's going to be a scary story and so it's all tone, I think, or at least a lot of it is. It seems like we both have the same uh, part where we're, we're feeling like we're challenged enough and that it's interesting enough. Like I think we have really different starting points on some of this stuff mm -hmm. and different ideas of the stories we want to make and all of that, but I, do, I think that there's a certain objective feeling of like when it's working that we both seem to recognize and we don't want to yeah. let it go until it's there. Like inside of the rules of the book, I think that's important for both of us is once it's established that there's rules outside of our preferences and our tastes and this thing is in a, like a thing that's sitting on the table, then we're like, oh yeah, that, that takes full advantage of whatever we've got on the table now. And we both seem to recognize that, I think. So it's out of our, it's not about us anymore. We try and get it out as soon as we can and sort of um, something we can look at and examine from all the angles so that it's not necessarily our preferences coming at it is but it's also this thing outside of us I think that um, that John and I, I, I I'm, I'm really I'm like the the books that we've done together um, I'm really proud of them they're special to me because there is a, there is a thing that they're very different books but they get they go to a place that I don't feel like John and I um, necessarily go to on our own, um, but when we come together, we... I go there on my own all the time. <laughs> you've, been, you've been hanging out in that place? I told you, yeah, I told you. I, yeah. It's really yeah. great. It's very nice and quiet without you. <laughs> <laughs> um, do I have to stay for this entire interview? <laughs> <laughs> I started playing with the empty plate on the table. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and uh, yeah, I, I think that that's I think that's a valuable thing. I also think yeah, process wise, um, I think that whenever we hit like points where we get stuck, we're able to or, or where we disagree, we we're able to talk about them and air those disagreements without it feeling personal. And I also I, you know the third thing I was thinking of was like there's so many talented picture book makers right now and, and great ways to make these books. And I love watching it and you can see it. Like you can just see it when somebody's got it. Like I just like I can pick up a book and know like this person's got it, this person does not. Um, and so many people it's like they've got it and I wouldn't I wouldn't make things this way. I think that John and I probably have similar ideas about craft, even if our approach is different. Um, uh, like, like the, the we would like the same books with the same. Yeah, books. that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mac Barnett and John Clausen, for the interview. Thank you, Philip Stead, for our theme music. 
Additional music for this episode from the Free Music Archive. You can contact us via email at theyarnpodcast at gmail.com and visit us online at the School Library Journal website. I'm Travis Yonker. Thanks for listening. <laughs>